Hello and welcome to What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. I'm Alex Pugh, reporter at Fintech Futures, and joining me for this episode is Kevin Levitt from US tech company NVIDIA. We'll be talking the use of AI, artificial intelligence, and financial services. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Would you like to introduce yourself, what your role is at NVIDIA, and the sort of work you're doing there? Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me. My name is Kevin Levitt. I'm the Industry Business Development Lead for Financial Services at NVIDIA. That means I have three primary responsibilities. Uh, One is to help set the strategy for NVIDIA globally within the context of the financial services ecosystem. Then I work closely uh, with our field as well as our network of partners to stand up uh, success stories for AI, ML, HPC, all the accelerated computing applications that are driving new capabilities across financial services. And then I focus on taking those stories and using them as leadership opportunities to enable and educate the broader financial network of companies across insurance, brokerage, asset management, banking, and fintech to drive continued investments and accelerated computing for AI and ML workloads. Grand. Thanks, Kevin. So first up is our news in numbers segment. These are our news stories with interesting numbers in them we found for us to discuss on the podcast. We'll let our guest go first. Exactly, Alex. wanted to talk about an article I found from the end of January of this year entitled, U.S. Banks Close Record Number of Retail Branches in 2021, Wells Fargo Shutters Most. Uh, Given the digital transformation that we'll be talking about throughout today's conversation, the role of artificial intelligence and financial services, I thought this article was representative of the digital transformation that's going on across banking, especially from a consumer standpoint, both in the U.S. as well as abroad in, in the U.K. and more broadly around the world. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're seeing a lot of the same thing here in the UK, particularly after the COVID-19 pandemic. And that seems to have accelerated an already quite fast trend of digital first banking. Do you think that that's something that is ever going to be reversible or is that only going to get more pronounced? Oh, I think it's going to get more pronounced. I don't see any incentive for consumers nor for financial services companies to try and reverse that trend. It's more efficient. It's more timely. It's at the point of the desired interaction for the consumer. It's more cost efficient for uh, the bank and the financial services institutions that are leveraging these capabilities. And a lot of it is continuing to grow because the banks are investing heavily in digital transformation and enabling more types of interactions. It used to be just a customer service capability or a pure acquisition capability for new accounts. Now it's all manners of capabilities from depositing funds, transferring balances, applying for loan applications, even operating small businesses through digital experiences and engaging with your lenders in in that manner. So I think we're going to continue to see a lot of investment from financial services institutions around the digital capabilities that they're bringing to their customers. So they're they're able to offer more services as a result of going digital first. Yeah, I think it's not just more services, but it's more personalized services. I mean, that's a big part of the role of artificial intelligence in, in financial services and other industries. We've already experienced it with recommendation systems helping us figure out what to watch next on Netflix, what to buy from Amazon. The banks are using the same technologies to determine how to help us along our financial journey. 
So I think the level of kind of personalization that we're all going to experience because of the influence of AI, the additional capabilities that the banks will bring to bear, both through virtual assistants and chatbots and new solutions that are AI enabled, is going to continue to transform and encourage us because the experience is going to be on par and or better than what we experience in person at a branch. So I think this trend is going to continue. Yeah. In the UK, like I say, we're witnessing a similar trend with branches being closed. I don't know what it's like in the States, but in the UK, there's a notion that branches are pillars of the community to a certain extent. And when they shut those branches down, it benefits the majority, but there's also a minority of people, particularly the elderly or maybe people who are underbanked and they are maybe left behind. Do you see ways in which banks that are going digital first, closing branches that they can kind of protect or cater to those that minority? Yeah, I, I think banks, like all of us, are sensitive to those potential impacts and are accounting for kind of the underbanked is a good example. And I think that's certainly where innovation and technology have actually enabled a new capability in addressing what were previously populations that were untouched by banking period to that now fintechs are out there investing and venture capitalists are putting billions of dollars into these companies that have the ability to help these previously underserved populations access the the financial ecosystem. So it cuts both ways. And I think banks certainly pay attention to that. And overall, while there were 4,000 bank branches closed in the US, there were a thousand that were opened. So they're continuing to invest in open new branches uh, and they're investing in these new digital capabilities as well. But certainly everybody needs to, to pay attention to the underserved, the elderly, as you mentioned, and make sure that they're still able to access their financial needs as necessary. with the second part of the podcast this is our more interview styled section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry topic or sector and we're going to dive into the main topic but first i wanted to give kevin a chance to talk about nvidia and this report which was really what spurred on the podcast the state of ai and financial services so kevin do you want to just give a like a top line kind of explanation or your elevator pitch of the report, that kind of thing. Oh, sure. Happy to. So for those of you uh, in the listening audience that aren't familiar with NVIDIA, we are a uh, data center scale accelerated computing platform company. And what that means is we are essential to every enterprise in the world that is investing in its accelerated computing and primarily artificial intelligence capabilities. By full stack, we provide everything from the hardware up through the software and the application frameworks that are necessary for data scientists to AI enable any manner of applications across all industries. Uh, one of our areas of focus from an industry perspective is certainly financial services where there is significant investment in artificial intelligence. And so we thought it was prudent to talk to our financial services community and interview professionals around the world around the trends in 
artificial intelligence as it relates to financial services. Uh, this is the second year in which we've actually released this study. Uh, and there were some interesting trends about the continued momentum for artificial intelligence, accelerated computing within financial services across all sectors, from the largest incumbent banks in the world all the way to the fintechs. Yeah, great stuff. And so we've got a few questions here as well so that we can do a bit of a dive into what some of the findings were some of the things that i've highlighted first off we've got the report highlights some of the challenges that companies face in achieving their ai goals and one of them is there are too few data scientists so i just wondered if you could go into about what's being done to address that deficit of human brain power and what future challenges do you think companies will face when, when they choose to utilize ai yeah, this was definitely one of the highlights from a, a data perspective in the reporting. And I think it's emblematic of the trend and really the, the transition that we've seen over the past year in financial services as it relates to AI, where companies have seen the benefit and the opportunity for AI-enabled applications to drive and enhance customer experience, to reduce operational inefficiencies, uh, to increase top-line revenue in kind of small tests and research related to AI, kind of in their innovation labs, if you will. And the banks really last year started to transition into how do we diffuse AI across the enterprise? And when they look across the bank and all the different lines of business, we've got customers that are working against hundreds, if not thousands of applications that they want to AI enable. It takes a lot of human resource capabilities, in particular data scientists, to bring that vision to life, which is why I think we're seeing kind of this lack of data scientists and too few data scientists bubble up as one of the key challenges, both from the executive team, as well as from the developers and, and IT elements within the banks themselves. Everybody sees this as a big challenge. Mm. Have they, any of these financial institutions, do they have systems in place to try and encourage more funnel more people into that discipline so that they can benefit from their expertise or is it really just to the at the mercy of the market and what people want to study and go into as a career no I, you know banks are being proactive they're partnering with universities mm -hmm. to support programs that are designed to to train and educate in data science uh, they're taking their existing teams and investing in training uh, even at nvidia we run deep learning institute classes uh, amongst our clients in financial services to train their teams on the latest deep learning techniques, everything from conversational AI to natural language processing to recommender systems, as we were talking about earlier. Uh, so folks are being proactive because it's, it's a known challenge. Uh, the other piece of the puzzle is it's one thing to recruit these data scientists into your organization. Uh, it's another thing to retain them. And so one way in which companies are retaining their key talent is they're investing in the infrastructure, namely an accelerated computing platform like NVIDIA's to give them the best tools with which to do their life's work. And that's certainly a big mission of NVIDIA's is to enable these data scientists to do their best work on behalf of any enterprise, whether it's in financial services or another industry. Mm, well, I guess if they're in so, so much demand, there's, there must be a certain degree of churn um, and retention is probably a big challenge because there might be some other rival company that's dangling a very big carrot for them to switch over if they're in, in the, if they're in such demand. 
Yes, certainly. And I think we see this dynamic play out in the market in terms of competition amongst fintechs and and big banks as they are both going after these talented data scientists. Uh, There are advantages that the fintechs bring to bear in terms of they're not encumbered by legacy architecture, technology architecture. Perhaps they have some of the more robust kind of newest and latest solutions that NVIDIA and others bring to bear to support artificial intelligence, but they lack the scale and scope of data that the incumbent banks have. And data is, as everybody knows, the fuel behind the machine learning and and deep learning techniques that are being employed in artificial intelligence. And so that's where the incumbents have an advantage is that they can actually enable all manner of applications to be AI enabled because of the scope of, of data and insights that they have around their customers and their business. So it is a little bit of a, a tussle between these two different ends of the spectrum to recruit these talented data scientists into their organization. Yeah. Um, you mentioned machine learning there as well. That would take us on to the next point. In the report, it says machine learning is the top AI application for fintechs. Can you go a little bit into what exactly is machine learning, how it works, why it's valuable, and how can it be improved? Happy to. Machine learning is really a subset of artificial intelligence where the machine is following a bunch of rules to infer things about a solution. Uh, It requires a human to improve and iterate on the performance of the, the machine learning model in order to get more accurate results and predictions. Uh, This really stands in contrast to deep learning, where deep learning is where the machine will train itself. Think of it as writing software. You don't have to give it the rules explicitly. Uh, You give it some baselines and some example data, and then the deep learning model can actually train itself. The algorithm identifies whether a prediction is accurate or not through its own neural network and learning and improving on its own. So machine learning is typically where organizations start out, but as you saw in the data, while 58% of financial services organizations are leveraging machine learning today. 56% of them are leveraging deep learning. And so the advantages here are you're really moving away from traditional yes, no bifurcations in the decision path to decision trees that can have hundreds, if not thousands of variables, as well as other structures that enable far more data to be leveraged in the decision-making process. And therefore you're yielding more accurate results when you're employing machine learning and and ultimately deep learning to the benefit of the consumer or the internal employee who's an end user of this new AI enabled application. Right. It's pretty complex stuff. I mean, it's quite incredible the things that we're working on with machines now to do for us. It's crazy. Okay, next point. Well, how does AI help to prevent fraud? So what does it do exactly to ascertain identity and how does it detect potentially fraudulent activity? Can you Mm -hmm. give some sort of examples or cases, the ways in which it does that? Yeah, sure. Happy to. And, you know, this is particularly important given the, where we started today's podcast in terms of the conversation around the continued migration to more digital interactions within financial services. And so banks obviously are heavily regulated. Uh, There are requirements around identity verification that tie into know your customer and anti-money laundering requirements. And the fraudsters continue to get more sophisticated. And artificial intelligence is one of the key tools that financial services companies globally can leverage to combat 
these bad actors because the AI has the ability to do things that we humans can't. One is it can understand and map out relationships that we might not have been able to see with our own eyes amongst different entities, different accounts, et cetera. And that uses deep learning techniques such as graph neural networks to map those relationships across entities. Uh, it can also do a better job of taking a look at vast amounts of data that we couldn't otherwise analyze on our own. And there are new techniques in federated learning. And actually, NVIDIA introduced a new software development kit, SDK, to support this called NVFlare, where traditionally a lot of data might have been unaccessible, even internally within a company due to data privacy regulations. Well, what if you can actually strip any sort of private information from that data, but still be able to use the data in a federated learning context in the modeling and be able to more accurately identify bad actors. So all of these techniques are now being employed. Cool. So they're able to anonymize the data to a certain extent and spot the connections between it or? That's right. Does it? Okay. Okay, cool. And yeah, talking about interactions with people in, in this regard, how important do you think the use of conversational AI is in the short and long term. I assume that means the way almost like a chatbot or something, the way that is that is that am I correct there? Yeah, that's absolutely one use case for conversational AI. There are ultimately going to be hundreds, if not thousands of them. If you think about language, it's required in every interaction. Uh, and that language doesn't have to be verbal. It can, it can be visual as well. And conversational AI is able to discern and employ artificial intelligence techniques to enable enhanced communication. And so you mentioned one of the use cases, which is virtual assistants and chatbots. And not only can it translate speech into text or text into speech, but it can understand through natural language processing and natural language understanding the context and the sentiment associated with that speech and text. And then you can combine this conversational AI capability with other deep learning techniques, such as recommender systems that we mentioned earlier, so that based on how a call is coming into a call center rep and that conversation is going, the call center agent can get real-time information around sentiment as well as recommended next best steps to help the consumer or the customer solve their issue. So you're going to see not just conversational AI as a standalone capability as perhaps you see it in virtual assistants and chatbots today, but you're going to see it combined with other artificial intelligence capabilities to, again, enhance the, the customer service that banks are delivering. So when you say um, it can measure sentiment, like... If you have a customer in the call center who's really angry, will it be able to determine that that person is annoyed about a service or a product that, with, that the bank has or hasn't provided? And it will be it will give the person, the employee, a different set of things to say or do to them as a result of their like their disappointment or anger at the company, and vice versa. If someone's happy with the service or product, they might get offered a different thing. That's exactly right. I couldn't have said right. it better myself. Okay, that's quite that's quite cool. <laughs> I never heard of that before. Um, how does it do that? Yeah, so there's uh, all manner of of techniques that deep learning can leverage to understand, you know, not just by the words that we're using them, by the words that we're using, such as "I am angry" or "I'm happy with your service," but it can use 
the tone in the voice to understand uh, the level of excitement or perhaps anger. Uh, and it's not just in a conversational AI or customer service context that this capability can be used. Uh, it's also used in fraud detection. So if you think about somebody who's trying to perpetrate a fraud against the bank in a call center environment, perhaps there might be some quiver or shake in their voice because they're nervous about what they're trying to do. And so the artificial intelligence can even pick up those types of sentiments or qualities as it relates to a conversation and use that to flag a potential fraudster to the call center agent. Uh, so there are myriad applications for this technique and capability when it comes to serving customers and improving the customer experience. Yeah, that's incredible. You can't lie to AI. That's quite interesting. Okay, let's move on to the next point. The fintechs are investing in AI for portfolio optimization for the foreseeable. How does AI optimize portfolios, for want of a better phrase, and what are the benefits of AI doing this over, say, an individual or, or a group of people, human beings? Yeah, and it's interesting that you highlight this point. It's not just the fintechs, but it's the some of the biggest asset managers in the world are also using AI to help with portfolio optimization. That can be you know used for consumers. Often you'll see a lot of articles around this time of the year, given it's just after the start of a new year, that you should be looking at your investment portfolio, thinking about rebalancing and making sure that you know, you've got the appropriate assets with the appropriate percentage of funds dedicated to each. And certainly AI and robo-advisors can do this automatically on our behalf. Uh, what they can do in addition to that, that humans aren't necessarily interested in investing the time necessary to, to take advantage of all the real-time information that is out there. Uh, so if you think about fueling an artificial intelligence portfolio optimization uh, solution with all of the news that is coming at us in real time as earnings reports are made, new announcements and product capabilities are introduced, uh, new risks are created through geopolitical events. All of that can be integrated by an artificial intelligence uh, portfolio optimization capability to make sure that assets that you hold are not negatively impacted by that. And if they are, they can make quick decisions about how to mitigate your risk. And that again can happen at the consumer level and or at the portfolio level, thinking about capital markets companies, whether it's asset management firms, hedge funds, et cetera. Mm, I think there was a study done. I'm not sure the veracity of it, but they compared uh, the sort of stock picks of seasoned like traders and, and compared them to just random selections. And they didn't do much, if any, better than the than the random selection. So I suspect maybe AI does a substantially better job just because, like you say, it has so much more data to draw on and it can infer so much more from the essentially all the signals coming from the outside world. That's right. And it's not just numbers in a spreadsheet that the AI can handle. Because of deep learning, it can handle geospatial and satellite data that's coming in that showcases you know, how many trucks are leaving distribution centers. And that might give you an indication of volume of sales for certain companies or how many cars are in parking lots outside of Tesco or other retailers. So there's all sorts of manner of data that can be integrated now into these portfolio optimization capabilities, which hopefully yield a greater return for, for all of us in the market. Mm, we're making ourselves redundant, but making more money in the process. Yeah, and it doesn't just have to be the 
artificial intelligence or the technology operating independently. It could be that the technology is operating in concert with the human trader, and it's just identifying signal for the human trader to integrate into their own decision-making process. There are multiple models for leveraging technology, and it's not always a standalone solution. It's often used in concert with all of us to help us make our decisions better and more informed. Yep. And yeah, talking about hybrid models. So when deciding where to host their AI infrastructure, most firms select a hybrid model, but they lean slightly towards on-premises. Why do you think the hybrid model is favored, i.e. part cloud, part data center, on-premises? What are the strengths and weaknesses of the hybrid model? And do you think that's going to shift one way or another in the, in the future at some point? That's an excellent question. I think we're going to continue to see companies invest in these hybrid models because to your point, there are strengths and weaknesses to both on-prem and, and cloud instances when it comes to your accelerated computing infrastructure. NVIDIA, we're agnostic. Wherever it is that you want to be with your artificial intelligence and accelerated computing capabilities, we're available in both instance types, whether it's on-prem or, or in the cloud. And we do that because, to your point, companies see benefits to both. Perhaps cloud affords a more, more nimble, uh, scalable infrastructure capability. At the same time, there's data, particularly within financial services, that will have to remain on-prem due to regulatory reasons, either that's as well as for data sovereignty, perhaps can't be moved across geographic locations. And so the data has to remain on-prem. And therefore, you're going to see banks continue to employ more and more hybrid instances to meet the needs of the marketplace, but also to meet their own financial needs, because there are huge models that need to leverage accelerated computing. And sometimes it's more cost efficient to do that on-prem, particularly as we were talking about earlier in the nature of conversational AI, where you've got new models coming out that have billions of parameters that can be trained. Uh, and to do that on-prem may be co more cost-efficient, and therefore you're going to see continued use of, of hybrid moving forward in financial services. Cool. So there's a lot of talk about how certain instances of AI, for example, things like facial recognition, for example, can be biased or it's not necessarily being fed enough data points, diverse data points. How can financial services firms make AI less biased and what new kinds of data are they going to have to feed the AI to make it less biased? Biased, sorry. And where will they get that from? Who will it benefit? If you can go a little bit into that. Sure. We touch on this in the report in that there are important considerations from an ethical AI perspective uh, when it comes to using AI in financial services and, and frankly, in any industry. And so how can banks do better when it comes to potential bias in the AI? And a big part of that around ethical AI is including the right AI governance framework within your enterprise. And that does include understanding bias. It includes data management. It includes uh, model and algorithm maintenance, as well as explainability. And explainability really speaks to the heart of the matter when it comes to understanding how does a model come to a particular decision uh, especially you know, when we're talking about underwriting and are you approving an application for a loan or are you declining it? Uh, we see, based on our survey research, that approximately half of financial services companies are already using explainability 
in their financial institution. Uh, we expect this to only continue to grow. Uh, there are a lot of solutions available in the market today. There are independent software vendors that are leveraging accelerated computing to provide explainability into financial services institutions. And so we're going to continue to see this as an area of growth for the use of artificial intelligence because it opens new applications for AI when you pair it with explainable solutions and explainable AI. Uh, so we're excited for this as a, a growth area. And certainly there are other techniques that will be employed as it comes to understanding bias and eliminating it from within a financial institution. And one example of that is leveraging the metaverse. And if you think about, you know, kind of virtual reality, augmented reality, you could have avatars that don't maintain or have any bias in their look or appeal. And you could have conversations through those avatars in a metaverse world. And NVIDIA obviously is a leader here with our omniverse enterprise AI platform capabilities to power solutions in the metaverse for financial services and other industries. Uh, and so that's another way in which perhaps we'll see banks begin to address the risks of bias in AI and other aspects of their business model. Yeah. Um, when you mentioned making the models explainable, is that sort of the, the like the black box phenomenon? People don't necessarily understand how this AI came or algorithm came to right. a decision. But if you do understand it, then you can at least highlight where there's mistakes or discrepancies or improvements to be made. That's right. There was a, a great article talking about how JP Morgan Chase is leveraging explainable AI in their financial advisory business. And when they were able to pair the recommendation that's coming out of the robo-advisory capability in conjunction with the explainable AI to detail how that decision was made, the financial advisors were far more likely to utilize the recommendation coming out of the artificial intelligence than they were previously. And so there are many ways in which explainable AI will, will benefit Again, both the employees of the companies as well as us as end consumers of the banks. Cool. Last question then. So spending more on AI infrastructure would please both the C-level execs and the technical people that make it all work. Where are the biggest potholes, if you like, and crumbling bridges in the AI infrastructure of financial services? And where would you spend the money? Yeah, I love the question. I think the biggest challenge we see today is traditionally financial services companies are very siloed. And what banks and in particular the C-level executives have come to realize as we've been exploring their enterprise AI transformation is that over time, each distinct business unit within the bank has grown from scratch organically their own AI capability. And that's not scalable. It's not productive. Uh, it's not a good use of, of resources. And so banks are now building uh, their enterprise AI strategy and they need an enterprise AI platform to serve and meet the demands that that strategy is going to create across the organization. And so that's where we would be spending and investing money. And that's how we're advising customers to evaluate how to best leverage their available budget is how do you build a horizontal enterprise AI infrastructure that supports the demands 
of the various lines of business when it comes to deploying AI-enabled applications, both today and into the future. And so we've got architectures that exist already because you know, we've built our own supercomputer internally at NVIDIA. So we've been through the pains of what it takes to build everything from scratch to enable the data scientists within your organization to do, again, as I said earlier, their life's work. And so that's where we would be investing today. on to part three of the podcast now which is our fintech jail so this is where we ask for an industry term jargon buzzword trend any lingo that our guest has seen heard enough of or wants to spring out of the jail so kevin's actually selected ai and it's in the jail and you want to make the case for its parole hearing, essentially, uh, why it should be liberated. What's your main case for that? And um, why do you think it's in the jail in the first place? Sure. I, I mean, there's nothing more exciting than trying to spring somebody or something from jail. So let's try it with AI and artificial intelligence. I mean, I saw that in both of the first two seasons of your podcast that AI was jailed. And I, I get it. It's kind of back a couple of years ago, very trendy, very buzzwordish. But I think the survey that we were talking about earlier that we released the report around demonstrates that AI is no longer industry jargon when it comes to financial services. It's a commonplace capability that's resident in over 80% of banks, and it's growing according to our report that was released last month. I mean, deep learning alone is used in over half of the firms. So I think that AI has really, again, moved out of the purview of the research and innovation labs and is into mainstream IT. And most of our conversations with bank leaders today is just as I described. It's how do you build an AI, enterprise AI platform to enable the bank to execute against their their strategy. So we're we see banking today is that it's not about one or two use cases. This is not the automotive industry where everybody's striving to build a self-driving car and not to, to belittle how challenging that is, but what makes financial services so exciting in the realm of artificial intelligence is that there are hundreds and ultimately thousands of applications that are going to be AI enabled. And so if you look at the growth rate of penetration of the key use cases. You mentioned conversational AI, you mentioned fraud detection. In our survey, it shows that of these key use cases last year, none of them were resident in more than 15% of the industry. And now nine of the 13 use cases have exceeded that threshold on a year over year basis. So AI now is mainstream. It is, it's main street, not just high street. And we think it should be freed for all to benefit from. It's a funny thing because AI in the media, I mean, the mentions and stuff, it, it obviously has, it obviously conjures up certain images in people's minds of machines taking over and that kind of thing. And where it often gets conflated with sort of, are we going to be able to create sentient machines and robots and things? But actually, sort of quietly in the background, it has become almost invisible through its ubiquity. Like you say, it has so many applications. Do you see any new applications for it on the horizon that people might be surprised by? Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about the metaverse and how artificial intelligence will be enabled 
by banks in that context, all of us still limited in our travel and capabilities and the role of financial advisors and how their clients might be more comfortable having a conversation in their living room or at the beach or name the location. The metaverse could enable that, right? So that you don't have to be right next to each other, but in theory you can. And you can experience each other in a comfort of your own home or a place that perhaps you want to get to when it comes to retirement. Uh, you could also use the, the metaverse for training your employees. So perhaps it's not easy to get to a branch today because of uh, travel restrictions. But in the metaverse, you can role play and have those training experiences before you get out into the field. Uh, so I think that's one area where we're going to see continued growth and investment. I think the other aspect is, as we highlighted earlier, the combination of these artificial intelligence techniques, you know, pairing conversational AI with recommendation systems as an example, uh, so that you continue to see the benefits of all the capabilities brought to bear from an AI perspective against uh, the use cases that, that matter to us most as consumers at least, and that is getting our questions and needs met and having the banks really assist us along our financial journey. So I think the future is very bright and it's going to be very exciting for us to see how all these capabilities unfold. It's not going to be like Terminator 2 then? It's not. No, okay, good. Um, do you, I mean, conversely with liberating AI, is there sort of off the top of your head that term or a piece of uh, technical jargon that you encounter a lot in your day-to-day -day that you would like to put in the jail? Well, you don't like just setting things free, huh? We also have to lock something up. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you must encounter a lot of technical words and phrases. I just wondered if there was anything like along those lines that uh, you think maybe has sort of peaked. Is Do you think like machine learning, is that the new AI, for example, or something like that? Yeah, I... I hear where you're going. Nothing, unfortunately, is coming immediately to mind. I wish I had something to throw in jail because I've never been able to jail anyone or anything. <laughs> okay. um, so I'll have to listen to future podcasts and see what people decide to, to throw in the jail because I'd love to come back in the future and see if I can release something else. By the way, did you agree? Do, have we released AI and artificial intelligence? Yeah, I th well, I, it's a very strong case. You know, it's one of those things where it does feel like it never quite, it, in a way, it peaked, but it also never quite peaked in terms of mentions in the media and stuff. Um, and as I said, it's important to kind of distinguish between its real world applications and the improvements it's making in financial services from the kind of promises of sentient machines. But I think just from the what we've talked about over the past 45 minutes or so, it, it definitely is a strong case for AI that it is making significant improvements, not just making money for institutions, but it's also doing a lot of good for, for the people and the customers that, that rely on them. Absolutely. And I, that's where all of our customers are certainly oriented around because there's no more important metric than customer satisfaction. You know, anytime you interact with the bank these days, you're getting kind of the, the question around how likely are you to recommend this bank to friends and family. And that's one of the core KPIs across financial services today is making sure that the customers are engaged and they're they're happy with the, the service. And AI is going to continue to improve how all of us feel about our interactions with banks and financial institutions. So it's 
it's definitely an exciting future and one that's coming at us faster than we think. Definitely. Um, I feel that's a good note to end on. Positive, optimistic, almost utopian. Well, why not be optimistic? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You've got to be optimistic. All right. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks, Kevin, for joining me. Um, I just wanted, before we sign off, do you have any socials or websites that you want to plug? Uh, sure. Happy to. I mean, obviously, I'm available to be connected with on, on LinkedIn, but please go to nvidia.com. We have a financial services industry page that has highlights of all the great research and work that's happening across financial services as it relates to artificial intelligence. Fantastic. And as for FinTech Futures, you can find us online at fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at FinTech Futures, and on LinkedIn, just by searching FinTech Futures and looking for our gorgeous logo. If you liked this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or other podcasting services. And we'd really appreciate it if you could help other listeners find the podcast by writing a review or recommending us. And thanks so much for the support. Thank you so much, Kevin, for coming on What the Fintech. I hope that you enjoyed it and come back again soon. Absolutely. It's been a great conversation. Thanks, Alex. Cheers. We'll see you soon for another episode. Until then, goodbye.